0: So, we began last week in a study. We're going to continue in uh, most misused Bible verses, or most often misused Bible verses. Uh, and most of uh, the material is taken. Uh, I had an idea to teach on this verse, and then lo and behold, somebody wrote about it. Go figure, right? <laughs> and uh, this particular book that we're using material from, as well as uh, other other sources as, it, as it's necessary, and then our understanding is uh, that's basically called the most misused Verses in the Bible. Surprising ways God's word is misunderstood. Surprising ways God's word is misunderstood. So last week we started talking. Of course, first and foremost, that uh, God's word has been misused since the very beginning. Right. When what happened? Adam and Eve. Who was the first one to misuse God's word? That's right. Thank you. So it shouldn't surprise us, right? So, and then of course, you know, we see what happened with Adam and Eve. And we see that over the course of the history of the church, uh, obviously there are a number of places in which Bible verses have been really misused. Um, but we're mostly concerned with, you know, really among the faithful, how scripture can be misused, how it has been misused over history, not, not, not in blasphemous ways, not in ways that seek to undermine the authority of scripture, not in ways that are in any way hoping to overturn so much of what the church has uh, accomplished, but just misunderstandings okay and so we started with a couple last week after our little by way of introduction and we we talked about of course the one which probably everyone knows better than any is judge not right how how popular that is and how often that is misused and misunderstood again not just outside the body but within the body as well (laughs) and so we talked about that and then we talked about the verse that we saw in Jeremiah and this is a verse that's Held too pretty tightly by the gospel, uh, the prosperity gospel, but also a lot of Christians have. I've heard this, and, and I've heard individual Christians pray this, and perhaps so of you. And that's Jeremiah. I, you know, my plans uh, to prosper you. Okay, remember the verse we talked about in Jeremiah. It says not to hurt you, but to prosper you, and how that's been taken and used as a promise for material blessing or everything's going to be okay, or you know, whatever the case may be. When in fact, it was the specific promise to a specific people who were going into a specific captivity for a specific amount of time. There's a lot of specificity to that verse. And we have no right to take that verse and use that in that way. Now, does that mean that there aren't things that we have in uh, the New Testament or in our our covenant understanding? Or is there a principle there in some way that we see rightly understood? Well, we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Okay, we're going to look at another misused verse today in Romans that sort of has that going for it too. There's plenty of things that we can hold to. Things that God has told us that we can understand about suffering. Things that we can understand about uh, you know, where we are in God's kingdom and in His plan without having to take that verse from Jeremiah and misapply that. Okay, So we can take the principle of that, but we certainly can't look at that verse and in any way pray that prayer the way that it would have been prayed then. Okay? So today we'll pick up with another one, and this is in Matthew eighteen twenty. This is from the King James. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in their midst. I hear this one. If you're going to ask me, what, this is one of the most misused Bible verses that I've ever heard. This is used. I've heard how many prayer meetings open this way. How many people have come together in in church where they open up the service? Sometimes you'll hear that. Lord, we know that you said wherever two or three are gathered in my name, uh, you know, there you are in their midst. So last night, Kim and I are just sort of going through the channels after we exhausted ourselves and manual labor all day yesterday. Um, and so we saw Vincent Price, The Last Man on Earth. Okay, we didn't watch it, but it was one of the things we thought about watching. Now, that particular movie has had three different versions. I think his was the first. The last one was what? Any movie buffs? What was the last version of The Last Man on Earth? Will Smith. Yes, yes. Who said that? Here. Yeah, right. What was that movie? Uh, I am legend, right? Yeah. just a little trivia for you. You win a pair of scissors.
1: <laughs>
0: so and I thought to myself, hmm. If indeed I was the last man on earth and if this verse were true the way it's used, I'd be alone. I wouldn't even have God with me. Oh wow. Right? I wouldn't even have God with me. I wouldn't even be able to pray. Why? Because what two or three are gathered together in to my name, There I am in their midst. So if it was just me and the zombies but you know, they're, they're not really human anymore, right? But if it's just me, then I'm out of luck. But what do we know about the presence of God? Somebody tell me something about the presence of God. Um,
1: it's always there. Yeah. And, it, and because God's immutable and never changes, mm. you can't see right. the presence of God.
0: That's right. And that's from Psalm something or other, right? you got a psalm there, really. You just tapped into a psalm, didn't you? Right. Well,
1: you know, I'm, well, I'm with you always. Yes, yep, sure.
0: There's another one, yep. Yeah, but even David prayed that, didn't he? He said that, you know, where can, I, where, where can I flee from your presence? You know, no matter where I go, there you are. So we know that this can't mean that. This can't mean that. We, we shouldn't pray that way. We shouldn't pray that way. Is there, is there any harm in it? Yeah, ultimately there is harm in it. Because I think the things that we repeat over and over and over again, somehow they shape us and inform our sense of things inside. So we shouldn't just use that. Should we go up and rebuke someone when they use it? No, but I think we have a the right person, not me. I could do it to a class one on one I maybe not be as tactful, but to be able to put your arm around the person and say, "You understand that that verse doesn't sort of that that verse isn't there for what you're using it for um, and then you can shame them they're <laughs> terrible about themselves okay, let's face it that's fun too so. What do we have going on in this first? Then, if we know that God's presence is everywhere, obviously we know He's omnipresent. We know He's everywhere; He's fully everywhere at all times. He's never any more here than there, and He's never any less here than there. He's not with me more or less when I'm uh, when I'm in sin or uh, when I'm not in sin. He can't possibly be. He cannot possibly be not there. And uh, it's difficult to fathom that. I was thinking this week that. Um, uh, we are constantly the center of God's attention. His attention is always fixed on every single one of us. And the body, of course, as we all make up. But every individual, in fact, out inside and outside the body, 7 point whatever billion people have God's constant attention all the time. He's just always aware. Now, I can't even begin to, you know, think about that, right? Because, you know, Aurora goes around the corner and I can't steer and I'm. You know, I, I don't I assume she's okay. I blame Kim if she gets hurt or something, but I can say, you know, that's why I always tell Aurora, stay where you can see me. Right? That's good advice. I think God gives that advice to his people, too, right? Stay where you can see me. Um, stay where you can see me, because I can't see her all the time. Uh, so, what is this verse talking about? Well, we've got to get to the context. This is found in Matthew 18. And while we're in Matthew 18, too, I'm going to. I'm going to talk more about Matthew 18 because there's another part of Matthew 18 that I think is abused every single day, day in and day out. It's done in churches all the time. Maybe it's even been done here, but we'll wrestle that out when we get to it. And the question is then, in the context of Matthew 18, for what purpose is the church gathering? Is it for prayer? What's the setting in Matthew 18? Well, Matthew 18, in this portion of Matthew 18, it's church discipline. Okay, Jesus is talking about church discipline and he's instructing the disciples on how they and everyone who follow them should handle sin and conflict. And as the author says here, therefore the themes that are present in this context are forgiveness, restoration, reconciliation with a brother or sister who has sinned against you. Okay, And he says, or has gone astray, and that's where I'll take issue because I don't think this has anything to do with... Uh, We'll talk about a sin someone commits that's not against you. I think we use Matthew 18 the wrong way. You see someone committing a sin that's not against you, and, and people say, well, you've got to use the Matthew 18 process. And I disagree with that altogether. So, um, but we'll talk about that a little bit more. Matthew 18 is specifically if a brother sins against you. This is how we deal with an offending or sinning brother against you. If I see, you know, if, if I were to see Chrissy, uh, you know, hitting the bottle out in the parking lot, right? And drinking, all right. Uh, That's not. That's probably where I should, you know, I might be able to go to her, okay, and just talk to her about that, or something like that, okay. But, but, and if she doesn't, we don't have the same. We don't have the same thing going on here as when a brother or sister sins against you, okay. If I see her overtaken in a sin, I think it's always you who are spiritual, as as Paul says in Galatians six one, and the you is plural there. It's always a matter of you go with a couple of people. Sort of right away to just sort of minister to her. And you have to be spiritual. And you have to be mature. And you can't just let people that aren't mature deal with sin in the church. But it's just it's that simple. Yes. Sister. Um, I
1: think one of the key words in there is just um, gest- restore. Yeah, in the- 6 one.
0: 1. You're absolutely right. Yeah. And that's another place where, you know, we could talk about that another time, but you're absolutely right. And glad you pointed that out. Because that is something that, if not done correctly, this <coughs> causes. It creates more sins than it helps. It creates a greater break than it than it, than it than it than it cures. Addressing sin, we should think in terms of it as being one of the most um, uh, very careful, right? You have to tread just so. It's got to be done just so, because if it's not, you get little explosions going off all over the place.
2: Yeah. The. Uh... I think that I think that this has to be addressed with uh, with love mm-hmm. and also with a corrective spirit in mm-hmm. mind, mm-hmm. so that the person that you're uh, looking to come alongside of uh, benefits from it and it's, it's corrective for them, mm-hmm. rather
0: than uh, a chastisement. All right. And we'll talk more about that. And I don't want to get. I know that Todd is going to be preaching in a few weeks on forgiveness, so I don't want to. Steal his thunder, but just in case he's wrong about something, at least we can take care of it now <laughs> before we get to it. Uh, so, so there's a very specific context to this. And so, um, and the other purpose of this, if a brother sins against you, okay, if someone sins against you, see, Matthew 18 has a very specific, and again, not get, you go to that person alone. You don't go tell somebody else. Most people fail in this. Before we go to the other person, most people tell it to somebody else first. I, I know it. I know it to be so. And so are you, with exceptions. But so why? Because it's so important to keep it as private as possible until it's necessary for it to not to be. Again, I'm not getting involved in the process of church <laughs> discipline. That's a, but there are some things in here that while we're studying this and while we're applying a proper hermeneutic to understand scripture passages so that they're not taken out of context, Prayed the w- wrong way, used the wrong way. It's coming up, and so it's good that we can touch on it a little bit. Uh, <clears throat> so, if it's cleared up, forgiven, and settled at this level, right, it's unlikely to become an issue that is gossiped about. Gossip happens in churches all the time. People talk about the one who has sinned. It's just true, and it shouldn't be. But it happens all the time. People gossip. Does that mean that they're. You know, we often think of gossip as just. Um, and if I had to go to, you know, just shield myself here from people throwing stuff at me. If I had to go to the extreme stereotype, it'd be the women running around gossiping to each other. But men do it just as much. They do it just as much. So, and it's really something that you have to be so careful about. Uh, and ideally, it says, is he says, this is the way all interpersonal sins and conflicts should be handled, so the case could be closed in one step. However, right, we know this isn't always the case. A brother could go to a brother, or a sister to a sister, or a sister to a brother, brother to a sister, however however it may be. And tell them about, you know, say, look, you've sinned against me in doing this or that. And again, you've got to go with the right spirit too, right? But the nuts and bolts of it is, you know, you, you sinned against me when you did this. Um, and it, but it doesn't always work out, does it? And so, and so Jesus has that. He he understands our human nature. He understands our pride. He understands our defense mechanisms. He put them there for a reason. Uh, he understands the walls that go up. Uh, he understands, again, what's pride? We don't like to be corrected. All right? I learned so much from my little one about myself. You know what I mean? It's, so, it's almost getting to the point where it's hard to correct her sometimes because I feel like a hypocrite every time I correct her, right? But... Uh, so I go with her, with Kim. I go to Kim with her, and we try it that way.
1: We'll
0: have to bring her up on church discipline if some of these matters persist. Um, Jesus knows it's necessary to include other people, which shouldn't surprise us so much. It takes the body to be the body, you know. Um, and so, and there's a reason for this, right? It, it it adds this certain level of seriousness to it. It hopefully shows concern. Hopefully, you're not going with the point of being vindicated yourself. But well, you've got the other person's well-being in mind. Yes, Tony. Are you,
2: are you saying that this verse is talking about another verse, similar about seeking the counsel of others, and in that, God is in that midst?
0: No. I, well, we're going to get to that when Jesus says, "Wherever two or three are gathered," because He goes on to say that next. He says, "If you," you know, Matthew eighteen sixteen says, "If he will not listen, take one or two others along, right, so that every matter may be established." Got a very old, very old covenant understanding to it. Way back in the uh, in the mosaic books, in the Pentateuch, uh, and then if the level if it can't be resolved at that level, so you go there with another one or two people, and you continue to sort of minister to what's what you see as a very obvious. And, and by the way, this should be this should be little petty things, okay. Uh, this shouldn't be petty things that you see that you think need corrected because they happen to offend you. In some ways, the people that are offended need to grow up. Stop thinking everyone has to apologize to you and make amends to you because your tender little sensitivities were offended. All right? Suck it up and grow up, cupcake. Okay? So, but we're talking about, talking about serious things here and we have to be as serious as Jesus would be. Um, if he refuses to listen at that point, the two go... The one goes, the two or three go, and well, they have no sort of choice except, as he says here, if he refuses to listen to them, tell him to the church, and if he refuses to listen to the church, right then you treat him as a pagan or a tax collector. And we don't necessarily have to talk about what this means, but let's consider the context. In the context here of Matthew 18, at the very beginning, we have the parable of the lost sheep, okay, that Jesus has given, and so this is what Jesus is saying the church should be committed to: is loving the lost sheep that has gone astray by going out to look for it. The goal here is reconciliation, not punishment, which is what you alluded to a minute ago. Okay? So, as you know, he says here, mercy not only comes to God's people, but it proceeds through God's people as instruments of His love. And so we have to be very careful here the way that we, uh, the way that we handle this. Um, we have to be really humble also at this point. And really not thinking we need to sort of straighten somebody out, right? That they really need to be straightened out. Yes. You made a comment uh, a minute or so ago. I was trying to, to
2: interject, but the uh, when you're talking about gossiping, in other words, mm-hmm. uh, someone sends and you share with someone else, it's not necessarily always considered to be gossiping. I mm-hmm. think, mm-hmm. whereas you're looking for uh, guidance right. into the direction <coughs> to approach yeah. a
0: situation. Yeah, that's, that's quite possible. I wouldn't disagree with that. You know, you might have. So let's say. Uh, a woman sins against me in some way or whatever I'd probably go to my wife first and say do you think am I misunderstanding this you're a woman you understand this a little bit better maybe as a woman so that kind of thing but oh there's such a fine line between (laughs) wanting to do the right thing and you know the old Well, gee I'm kind of interested pal what what happened over there I want to be able to pray for that person (laughs) i sure you do (laughs) it
2: can be be tied in very closely with a personal judgment which Mm -hmm. is
1: wrong
0: yeah, yeah, right with that wrong judgment that we saw at Good Point in the last uh, part that we were studying. But so here's the passage in its entirety then. Knowing that the Lord's intent is to bring back that sheep, mm-hmm. is to find that lost coin, is to you know get these things. He says, again, I tell you, and this is right after talking about bringing it to the church, again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. So Jesus is saying that whenever the church is pursuing and is involved in a reconciliation process with someone who has refused to repent, they can rest assured that God's blessing is with them in their efforts. So the one who wants to be the good shepherd is right there. What's necessary to make that work is Jesus in the midst. He's there. Not just saying, that's just sort of the negative. Yeah, Jesus is with you on this one, you know. But the positive. Jesus wants this person to repent. Jesus wants this person reconciled. And if that's our goal, even though know, He's right there with us, to see that that happens. He's right there with us. He's the one that goes out and finds that lost sheep. He's the good shepherd of the sheep. In other words, as the church renders judicial decisions on matters of right and wrong, they're based on the truth of God's Word, they should be confident that they are doing the right thing, and that Christ Himself is right there with them, spiritually present in their midst. That should be a very comforting and assuring thought to us. That this isn't sort of my responsibility or my... It's not in my power to sort of straighten out Alex, right? It's not in my... It's not—it's it's love and compassion. And this is why all of Scripture ties in so nicely together. You know, this is why our, our sense... Of, of Christ's likeness should never be one of vengeance. It should never be one of getting back at the person. It should never be one of my priority is being treated right. <coughs> oh Man, it's just wrong. And we, but we struggle with that, don't we? We want, and at other times, we want the person to know that they've wronged us. Listen, you've wronged me. And our priority is us instead of the fact that, wow, when you do that on a regular basis, you are so affecting your relationship with God. You know, you really are. Because at the end of the day, they're either going to be forgiven in Christ, okay, or they're going to have God's wrath poured out for them on all eternity for not just that sin, but all sin. Not in the body, of course, right? But outside the body. So this is when it gets very hard. is Do I want to be vindicated? Do I want to be recognized as the one that's hurt? Do I want to be, you know, that's, Important to us, we'd, we'd like other people to know that, yeah, you have heard us, and look what it's done to me. And that's part of it. But our greater concern should be, what is their relationship with God like that they're doing this? Now, what's happened to them in their relationship with the Lord? How can the church be involved in a really healthy Christian?
1: Um, am I right in connecting this scripture to where Jesus sends out uh, um, the commandment to go and preach the gospel? Mm in that he is low I'm with you always Mm -hmm. to me it's when you're going out and having to (sighs) confront in love and be that grace and truth there's something that's terrifying and Mm -hmm. I think some of us are kind of bolder and can Mm -hmm. like maybe come across uh, in a way that's received and some of us are bolder and come across in a way that isn't received and I feel like this to me connects to that verse I don't know if I'm wrong in connecting the two but like Christ is right there when mm-hmm. you when you aren't of a bolder spirit and That's you need that connection. bolder spirit. Yeah. It's maybe just a reminder of like, well, I'm with you. Or mm-hmm. yeah,
0: or or whatever spirit is, is sort of necessary at that point, whether yeah. it's boldness or it's you know, calmness. I mean we, you know, sometimes we wanna we wanna you know, again, are we preaching to Whatever, you know, the sexually immoral person because we want them to forsake their sexual immorality or because we want them to know Christ.
1: But either way, it's like trying to reach the
0: lost. Yeah, 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 it is. Oh, in the church, hopefully, we're trying to reach the saved. Yeah. (laughs) That's why, you know, the church needs the gospel as much as the unchurch. You know, that's a good point.
3: There's a personal association that Jesus makes with us individually. Yes. Like when Paul was going to leave Corinth in Acts chapter 18 because, you know, he was troubled by what was going on and and, and the Lord says to him... Uh, be not afraid, but speak and hold not thy peace, for yep. I am I am with thee. Yes, absolutely. And no man shall sit on thee. Yes. Earth. Also in Second uh, Corinthians, Second Timothy four, when uh, <coughs> various ones are leaving him, Paul says, "Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me mm-hmm. and strengthened me." Yes. So that's a different category than the Matthew eighteen twenty yes. that he's talking about. But I think what Pat to point to is the the misuse of it is. When, when two, two or three or four or five Christians just casually get together mm-hmm. and huddle together mm-hmm. at a church picnic and mm-hmm. they go in a corner or they're over somebody's house, mm-hmm. hey, let's have a little prayer time. That's not the time to utilize right. Matthew eighteen twenty. Exactly. Right, yeah. No.
0: Exactly. I mean, and yes, of course, Christ is with us when we have those gatherings. You know, whether we're getting together for food or, or, or you know, uh, business mm-hmm. meetings. So if we're getting together for good things or hard things, yes,
1: um, Julie. Humor here. When Christians get together and use that verse, I think perhaps we could also view it as a warning, you know, where two or three are um, gathered together. <clears throat> there I am in your midst, so watch your tongue. Yeah, I don't think he meant it that way. But, but I think
0: that, yeah, obviously we would want to be aware of that. No, I mean, no, but, but and we would be, hopefully.
1: But the thing is, you're there, and God is with mm-hmm, you, and mm-hmm, God
0: is with each mm-hmm, of you yeah, guard yourself. Yeah, yeah and, the, and the assumption on Jesus' part is that the church, which is his body, he's giving them the assurance that in church discipline he's with them, that based on his word, this is, this is what he approves of for his body. Uh, and, and so, you could take that Galatians 1 passage and sort of paraphrase it that way. You know, in other words, it says, you are going to spirit of gentleness, watching out for yourselves, lest you be tempted... So I think that would be a good application there. So, you, you, you know, what you just said, the way you said it, I couldn't do it. Yes, ma'am. Could you
2: formulate in a patism what would be the proper
1: use
2: of this? What <laughs> <laughs> would be the proper
0: use of this? I don't know if I could say it any better than Scripture. He says, "Well, look, when, 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 when Tony has offended the, uh, a brother, okay, when he's offended Ken on a regular basis, and Ken has been more than patient, He's put his hand on his gun a few times, thinking he'll take care of it the easy way. And time goes on and on, and he decides he's going to go to you and say, look, brother, you you, you keep on sort of doing this, and it's really sort of hurtful, and I think that something's going on with you, man, because if you're abiding in Christ, I don't think you'd be doing this, brother. And you say, look, just because you've got a gun doesn't mean you can tell me what to do, right? So then he goes, and he gets Todd, and and Todd goes with him, and the two of you try to, and you're still stubborn as an ox, and you're still full of Tonyisms and things like that. So then he's got to So Well, we've got to bring it to the church because we've got a wayward brother here. You're, you're, you're in danger. Your soul is in danger of missing out on Christ here and now. And so the, the purpose of the church is gathering and coming together like that is to sort of break, is, is to see that humility, that pride broken, to see you reconciled to your brothers because you can't, have a, you can't have a healthy relationship with God when you don't have a healthy relationship with your brothers and sisters. You know? Um, and I
1: think the.
0: Point two is that if you take a a couple of people with you, then if if it gets to the church level, Mm -hmm. the gravity of the situation should have an impact on the person who is in view there. Right. And and, and if they don't, then there's something
3: seriously wrong. At that point, he's recognized, he's excommunicated, because he's viewed as a publican and a heathen person. Right. Right. The climax of it is that... I think how how could that be considered a brother in the church? Yes. This person is rebellious and insubordinate, unwilling to yes. to heed the word of God and yes. therefore.
0: And you have to make sure it's the word of God. You know and that's why Jesus says, There I am with you. The assumption is that we're applying the word of God correctly and not erring in it. And not co opting scripture for some purpose to which it was not intended. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Not sort of as I call throwing Bible rocks at people. Yeah. Molly. Yeah.
2: Seeing here that uh, in that verse also where it says two or three are gathered mm-hmm. in my name, mm-hmm. in my name mm-hmm. is a very important
0: aspect. I'm glad you brought that up because we're going to bring that up in the next one. So hold your thoughts on that. That's, that's another one that's coming up. Mm-hmm. The whole in my name thing, what that means. It's very important. That's another one.
3: Yep. Well, so I- I'm not sure if you're climaxing this yet. i yep. to <laughs> no, 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 no. go, go ahead of you. But, that's all right. Um, so the proper use of it would be in the context that it's, it's the presence of Christ are authoritatively yeah. in the final action that's taking place by the church. Not
0: even the final action. This one, e- Let's face it, even with one, hopefully God is, is with, but because God knows the way we are, if you go with two or three witnesses so that everything may be established, right there at that point, certainly, we can know for sure that, again, if we're abiding in the Word of God, if the two or three that are going to that brother... and, and this, this all assumes that initially... It's done correctly. So initially, you know, Ken's offended, but it's not just because Tony keeps taking his parking spot, okay, or, or, or whatever, okay. That's that's not that's not sin, all right. Uh, if, if if Tony were constantly making wisecracks about the police department, the Ken, okay, knowing that Ken how seriously Ken takes that and all that kind of thing, at some point you have to wonder why would somebody want to upset somebody that way? What's going on with you that you would want to upset someone that way, okay? so yeah but Christ is pre- one of the two or three because he says wherever two or three are gathered in my name alright so you could go back even to that sort of second step but again I don't think it's so much a matter of how many does it take two or three or the whole body the point is Jesus is there when they are carrying out his will as a body to make sure that the body stays healthy does that answer you? yeah
3: I just wanted to add something to it I'm First Corinthians 5 there is a case
0: yeah we'll talk about that in one second because go I'm going to get to that because I'm going to go to the other misuse of this verse
3: Want to make sure I'm getting this correct.
2: Right. If two or three are gathered together in the proper way, which yes. means in my name. Yes, we'll
0: talk about and, his name more and fully. And
2: focusing on the waywardness mm-hmm. instead of the act or the
0: person it's mm-hmm.
2: against, mm-hmm. then he's saying, There I am in that midst Yeah,
0: of the point of is what's going yeah, on. The point is when the church acts like the church, there Christ is. And in this case, in discipline. Certainly this it's very important to know, and I think uh, Chrissy touched on this, but others did. Uh, it's important to know that Christ is with us in that because we do feel very uncomfortable. Yeah. We should be very uncomfortable. I have seen church discipline radically abused. Radically abused. Um, where, you know, I don't need to say any more, Julie. Um, two two point
1: one. Um, God is there whether... Christians are behaving properly or not? Yes, that's correct. Because of his impassibility, yes, He's fully present there. Yep, the awareness of his presence. Yes, is um, and the leading of his presence. <coughs> mhm. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't stop being less present just because Christians are sinful. All right. You know, but one of the things that I find it amazing that people would not be able. to, I mean, that there would be misunderstandings of of God being with you. Individually, low-eyed with you always. Yeah, sure. You Go know? into your prayer closet.
0: I mean, obviously, right?
1: Right. And the idea that God doesn't come until you're here. Right. And, um our Stroll said, it's amazing how Christians um, are able to jump to the wrong conclusion because they don't know how to think logically. Yes. And just like the diamond has many different facets. Mm-hmm. One facet is that God's presence is there when there's multiple people. Mm -hmm. Another facet is that God is fully present Mm -hmm. when you're alone. And so the diamond has many different facets. And to think that there's only one facet, you can't have
0: a diamond with one facet. If a tree falls in the woods and no one's there to hear it, does it still make a noise?
1: Yes, it certainly does. And so this is really often a case of theological thinking.
0: Yeah, it is. And we do have to bring logic to hermeneutics. Hermeneutics. You know, the the art and discipline of interpreting scripture and understanding syntax, context, linguistics, genre of literature, culture. All those things are fully loaded into our hermeneutic. A little logic goes a long ways and we are sorrowfully hurting for logic. But how can we not be hurting for logic? Relativism, which is what we live in, right? We live in a relativistic society. Relativism is a denial of logic from the get-go. The other misuse of this verse... That's right. Like in his soul. Yeah, and that's you know ultimately secular humanism is we don't need God to get along and survive, and we see where that gets us. So the other misuse of this verse again is, um, or don't say misuse. Uh, there is a place like Gary mentioned in First Corinthians five. If it's a serious enough offense, there's no need for there's no need for assembling and going to various steps. Paul said, "Get him out. He's having sex with his stepmother." Turn them over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. There's no, there's no process there. Get them out now. I don't know if we can ever get to that place where we, but I got to think there's going to be some cases that are like that that just turn them over. Now, in context though, they've been allowing that to go on for a while. They've been allowing that to go on for a while. Paul said you should be, you should be, uh, you should be broken. You ought to be mourning over this, but you're not. So, and that's an like a lot of First Corinthians. We're dealing with uh, sort of ad hoc problems that come up in the culture that, that need immediate solutions. So it's hard to draw. But I, I simply say, the goal there wasn't to go with one person first, okay, and say, look, you've sinned. okay. So when we see someone overtaken in a sin... Okay, that's not the place where sort of one person goes. I think a couple of people should immediately go to that person. It's not a Matthew 18 sort of process in that way. I think we misapply Matthew 18. Matthew 18 speaks about when a brother sins against you. Very simple. No matter what gospel you look at, that's the context. Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother? Seven? Seventy times seven. Lord, increase our faith. All right? And he even goes on to say... Uh, Uh, Well, actually, that's sort of like I just what I did was I just sort of um, I just put together Matthew eighteen twenty one and Luke seventeen three I think, where you got uh, Jesus telling him in Luke forgive seventy times. But it's personal offense, it's personal sin in any case. The church can address sin without first having to be one person goes to the person. You who are spiritual. So if there's someone now, as it is, can we spiritualize that and say, well, look, if Chrissy's you know a drunk. Oh, no, out in the car, you know. Isn't that really a sin against me? I mean, it's a sin against the body. Don't go there. Yes. Who's got a hand up, you or her? Hi. She wants me to. Okay. Okay. If two of
1: you on, if two of you on earth agree about anything, mm-hmm. you ask.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anything. Yeah, anything, but what's the context? Right. You know, so, I mean, so say we had a gathering, uh, and uh, the church was going to talk about i forget about that. Forget about the church for a minute. Um, anything where you're at a gathering, or anything where you've got something going on, or anything where there's, there's a specific sort of context to it, okay? The anything there obviously is confined by. It's kind of like it's kind of like in First Peter, where it says God desires all men to be saved. Well, there's a particular context to it. He's writing to believers. He's writing to the elect. He's writing to something that's ultimately going to happen. So even he even said things about Israel forever and for all generations. Well, until so what happens? Until the until, until until the crucifixion, resurrection, and outpouring of the Spirit. So, even something like anywhere, anything, any time can be limited by the context that we find it in. Which isn't to say of course that Christ isn't there always. It's just again, what is this worth talking about? And that's why we ha- you know good practice is doing that. All right, let's let's get to the next thing because this this came up. So and, and anyway, so let's just close that by saying again, you have a and. If someone's overtaken by a sin, and I have to emphasize this too in that Galatians 6.1 passage, it has to be you who are spiritual. Um, I've heard people argue about whether a church, even when the whole church gathers, should immature Christians have a vote in putting a person on a fellowship? I don't know. I've got to tell you, I'm conflicted about that. I'm conflicted about that. Is it, is it just, should it be the eldership and maybe some other you know, strong advisors to say, okay, we're going to let the church know this person has been disfellowshipped for now. And there's something to be said for that. I think that's the way we do it here. I'm not sure. Um, but I know in the past, in past church experiences, it's been the whole church gathers and they all take a big vote. And I've got I to tell you, I, I don't know. I, I struggle with that a little bit. I struggle with a new believer, an immature believer, someone that doesn't understand love yet. Oh, yeah, but wait a that doesn't love. And you know...
3: I just don't know. Yeah. Like you said, how, how can you put a lot of confidence in just a new believer who you can't come to the
0: faith? It's asking too much word. of them. It's asking too much of them. Because we know from other scriptures that there are some that are just weaker in faith, like the whole meat and vegetables thing. Paul specifically said, look, if you just think it's, if you think all you can eat, this isn't against vegetarians, again, in the context, if you think all you can eat is vegetables, but you can't eat meat, your faith is immature if you think that that's going to affect your faith it's not saying anything about personal health or anything else but if you're just going to if you're going to make a big deal out of fact of eating meat and vegetables then the person that's weaker in faith there is not the one eating meat it's the one eating vegetables ok so there's the principles in scripture we need to be mindful of and I think that uh, so I just I bring that up I think it's so important that when church discipline is going to happen it happens with mature Christians, people whose priorities are Christ's priorities, and they are Christ's priorities because they've learned over time, they've been trained sort of in righteousness, they have had spiritual discernment. Very, very because wrong church discipline is like you know, you see these doctors that do, do surgery and they saw up a scalpel inside the person, right? Or they, 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 they read the chart wrong and take the wrong guy's leg off, you know? It's just, it's just that potentially dangerous, and we can't have it. Okay, I want to be able to squeeze this one in. This is the whole, ask for anything in my name. John fourteen thirteen to 14 Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified for the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. That means my mulch will be spread by the time I get home today. And I don't have to do it. Because I ask for it in Jesus' name. So it's going to be done. Right? You to <laughs> As you have emphasized to Jesus. You're exactly right. So, um, and we hear this, right? I mean, this, this, this is a misused Bible verse. Uh, but uh, Jesus, as he taught his disciples about prayer throughout the course of his ministry, he taught them something specific, again, that is often misunderstood by Christians. And Jesus told the disciples that when they asked for things, they should ask the Father in my name. But what does that mean? So often in the church, we use that as sort of a conclusion to prayer. This is like, so everyone knows I'm done praying, Right? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Okay, so everyone knows you're done praying, right? And and it's just become—it certainly wasn't like a practice they used in Scripture. I don't know when it started happening that way. My guess is it probably happened. If I had to guess, knowing nothing else, it happened somewhere around the goofy 181900s, right? When the church started getting goofy in certain ways, right? Uh, but that would be my guess. I don't know when that practice started. I don't think it's important to it, but somehow that became for us sort of. Like, catch you later, right? That's, that's like the, When you're leaving, it, so it's like, okay, we're done talking. All right, well, I got to go now, okay? That's like how we, it's like, that's how everyone knows you're done praying. On the one hand, that's a little bit lighthearted. And I, I know that people, I think that the intent, hopefully, the intent is what we're going to take a look at here. Uh, in his book, Praying Backwards, Brian Chappell writes, Am I pronouncing that right? Yeah, Chappell, right? You guys, he's a, he's a is he a Southern guy? Okay. Uh, we are not to mimic witches spicing their cauldrons with a little eye of newt and tail of squirrel when we add Jesus' name to our prayers. I <laughs> like that, right? We're not supposed to treat it like that, right? Putting our requests and thinking of it in that way. But as we look through scriptures, we discover that this phrase is used in a variety of contexts, Brother Wally. Right? For example, Jesus talked about welcoming disciples who are like little children in my name, Matthew 18.5. Okay, so when we give a little kid a hug, we say, hey, in Jesus' name. <laughs> right? We don't do that, do we? Um, he spoke of assembling together for judicial action in my name. We just talked about that, Matthew 18, 20. He spoke of miracles done, cups of water given, and the Holy Spirit being sent in my name. Now, actually, that did happen. Peter very specifically used that in Acts, right? He says, uh, you know, I, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, take up your bed and walk, right? So he, But... <clears throat> I suppose we could do that to like someone that's not familiar with Jesus, or in that context, you have the whole Judaistic structure. I mean, you're right there at the temple, right? And so Peter, saying that in Jesus' name, I mean, the highest name that you can give, you know—that's this is God's temple and the, for the Jews to hear in Jesus' name. So there was like a double instruction going on there, right? Um, and he says, so apparently Jesus had much more in mind than prayer when he spoke about the power of his name. So in His name means that we do them in a manner that is consistent with who Christ is, what He taught, and all that He stands for, His kingdom purposes. It's to do them in accordance with God's will and ultimately for His glory. Is basically what that means. And that's what our prayers should be like. Uh, Again, Brian Chappell, if God were really obliged, really obligated to what we think should happen, right? So in other words, again, if Jesus is saying anything you ask in my name, I'll do it and oftentimes that's our own self-oriented prayer, if God were really obligated to do what we think should happen, then God would be tethered to the leash of our understanding. Our wishes would fence God's omniscience within the limits of our brain and restrict His plans to the extent of our insight. All right? So his whole book, Praying Backwards, is based on the premise that we need to think about what does it mean, Jesus' name, in the first place, before I even pray... What is it like to pray? What am I, what's my priority? He says, Praying backwards means we put first priority on the words we say last in our prayers. As strange as it may seem, if we would dare to pray backwards, if we would remember to start where we end, in the desires of our heart, if not the actual words of our mouth, we would discover the foundation of blessing on which all answered prayer is built. Praying entire prayers in Jesus' name profoundly alters our priorities. And he goes on to talk about the merit in his book, the merit of Jesus' name, the privilege of Jesus' name, the appeal of Jesus' name, the power of Jesus' name, and the purpose of Jesus' name—it's a very good book. To have all those things, what does it mean to pray in Jesus' name as opposed to just sort of tacking that on? And again, the the potential harm of just always doing something repetitively is it loses its real uniqueness, okay? And sometimes I just won't pl- pray in Jesus' name; I'll just say Amen or something, you know. Let's see if it. It annoys anybody, right? So, what, what, I mean, why do we do it? Why do we do it? Again, it's, it, it is, I think it is expressing a genuine desire. You know what I mean? When we, when we close uh, in Jesus' name, I, I think we want it to be for Him and everything, but it's important that we keep that in mind. And it's important to note that it isn't just anything we ask in His name. This is to your point a second ago, darling. If you ask anything in my name, well, doesn't it say anything? Well, yeah, but there's a context very specifically to that. And what is that context? So the words of Christ are found here in John fourteen thirteen to 14 beginning with, with verse 12. We'll go, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these he will do or she will do, because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So the key to interpreting greater works is linking with the final phrase, because I'm going to the Father. So the author writes, Jesus is about to tell the disciples that upon his return to the Father, right, which happens obviously after his death and resurrection, they will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, which will have major implications for them in future ministry. Not only will the Holy Spirit supernaturally empower them for their ministry, but because Jesus has returned to the Father, they will have the distinct advantage of hindsight and be able to point back to the finished work of Christ who will have died and risen again by that time. So therefore, he's, this is what greater works mean. The number of physical miracles that were performed by Jesus will pale in comparison to the number of spiritual miracles that will take place when both Jews and Gentiles are converted in Christ in the spirit-filled age. Okay? So their, their powerful ministry is bound to be aided by answered prayer. We know that Jesus is asking as well. So we know that if we're asking Jesus for these things, if we're asking in his name for his priorities, they're going to happen. They can't not. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean, it, to me, the, the overall point there is pretty simple.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I and the Father are one. Mm. And to ask in my name is to ask in the Father's name. Yeah. This is, this is the authority of my mm. name.
0: Yeah, it is. It's, it, it, it is. It's, it, it's, it's, it's as he pointed out. And we could add to his list the authority, the power, the purpose, the, the intent, the heart.
2: When a number of people are, are gathered together and they are having a time of prayer, uh, I don't. Uh, I kind of agree with you in a sense that I don't think every person who prays, and then goes to the next person, at the end of their prayer, they have to say in Jesus' name. Mm-hmm. I, I think that perhaps. Said, to qualify everything
0: that was prayed. On. Yeah, and I, you know, again, that should be our purpose in prayer before we even start to pray. The end of the prayer in Jesus' name ought to be on our hearts and our minds in the first place. It ought to, it ought to be, it, it it should be redundant at that point. It ought to be unnecessary in a way. But it, it's just one of those things we do as a body. And I'm just wanting it to bring to our attention the importance of what that really means, as opposed to just you know. Like you would fill out a letter with the proper heading and address and the salutation and all that stuff and then the goodbye.
2: Exactly. He's far more speaking about a heart orientation yeah. rather than words
0: yeah. that need to be used. Exactly. It's it's not, it's not sort of a magic formula that's going to make it happen. If you haven't started that prayer in Jesus' name, don't bother ending it in Jesus' name. Because Jesus said, don't sign my name to that prayer. What are you doing? You forged my signature. Again, you jerk. Stop doing that. So... The whole occasion for him saying that is Philip's misunderstanding of the name of Christ. And and what that meant. um, Our first thing, we do know from other places, right? We know that other places that Jesus says, you know, he asked about praying, he asked about praying according to his will, and he says, you know, if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the request we've asked of him. If we know that he's heard us. Our first inclination usually is to pray in a way that fits with what we think is best or according to results we desire. And then we sort of do it in Jesus' name. For example, if we're in pain or or receive an unfavorable diagnosis, we will usually immediately pray for God to take away the pain or completely heal whatever is ailing us. We pray for our circumstances to change. And so this is what he says a prayer, I guess, that begins in Jesus' name would look like. Lord, I know You have a purpose for everything You bring into my life. And my prayer is that You would be glorified in whatever way seems best. Please teach me what You want me to learn from this so that my faith will grow. Please help me to see what Your sovereign purposes might be so that I may rejoice in Your plan and rely upon Your grace. But, Lord, if it would be pleasing to You, I do ask You to bring relief from this pain and healing for this hurt, for this is my desire. Either way, I trust You and I pray that Your will be done. And I ask this in Jesus' name, Amen. So, it's a good point. When we immediately want to pray for circumstances to change, we're not praying in Jesus' name, necessarily. It, it's a good cue, it's a good clue that we might, may not really be praying in Jesus' name. Now, this is not to, to diminish. But let's face it, in our fight-or-flight response that we have, we get a terrible diagnosis of something difficult. We immediately want it to not be subtle. It's natural, right? I mean, not too many people jump up and down and start the hallelujah chorus at a, at a bad diagnosis, do they? But no, but that's why it takes thought and it takes reflection. Our life is a careful, thoughtful life. It's, it's, our joy can always be spontaneous. It can always be abundant. It can always be an undercurrent of joy all the time. Even if on that river of joy there are dead things floating. <laughs> you know? So our goal again is to sort of see God glorified in in all of these things. Um, And then I'll just sort of close. This is a prayer that again Brian Chappell and his book wrote going back to his book Praying Backwards which is a great book. Uh, Heavenly Father I pray to you today in Jesus name focus my heart on the priorities of my Savior whom you have provided out of your great love. Please do in me and through me whatever will bring most glory to Jesus. As you listen to... And by the way, whatever brings most glory to God is the thing that is absolutely best for us. That's a strange connection to make. It's so easy to say. It's so easy to say. As you listen to each petition I make, please help me offer it. Claiming Christ's merit more than my own. Seeking Christ's purpose more than my own. Loving Christ's glory more than my own. These are the petitions I offer and then offer them. And by the by the power and wisdom of the Holy Spirit transform my requests into instruments for accomplishing your will to have Christ honored everywhere especially in my heart. Uh, Make my greatest desire highest joy and deepest fulfillment Jesus' glory. I can attempt all you require of my life face all you design for my path rejoice in all you will for my eternity when I know all is for Jesus' name. Do all that you know is best for Him for this most blesses me. Forgive my readiness to forget and my tendency to doubt that when He is most glorified, I'm most satisfied. When my mind shrinks away from these truths, enlarge my heart for Christ's purposes. For Christ's sake and mine, help me always to pray in Jesus' name. Right? So that's what, that's what to pray in Jesus' name means. And it's important to cover that because again, it's something that we use and we say all the time. All the time. Every single prayer, I would think 99.9% of Christian prayers end with in Jesus' name. And we've got to make sure that we're beginning with the prayer that's in Jesus' name as well. Something that we know. And think of it that way. Uh, when you were a kid, if you were going to forge a letter to your teacher, I know none of you did that. Todd, you definitely did. <laughs> you were going to forge a letter to your teacher, you would have to make sure you're using your parent. You might have his letter. You get the right handwriting. Right, my father had this funky f in the beginning of his name, and he had loopy E" in the middle for his middle initial, and he always signed it that way you know so because I copied you that. I did that. Well, you would forge you got know you gotta make sure you sound like them right uh so that you can give that teacher to the letter, and when you sign it with that name, it's believable that it's that name. well our prayers want to be believable in uh you know in heaven our, our prayers want to be that they want to be something that we could just. Write out and, and look, there are some uh, uh, bosses, CEOs that they'll tell somebody else, here, write this letter for me and give it to me, and then they'll just sign it. They've come to trust that you always have their priorities in mind. You know what I mean? They're not looking at it. They might get to a point where they trust you, but that one day you, you know, it's a letter that he wants to give to the HR person, and in it, you write, and also give Kim a 35% raise effective next week. <laughs> he goes ahead and signs it, correct? But is it something that, that he can sign or she can really sign their name to? Our, our prayer is something we can really sign Jesus would really sign his name to if we're going to know that we got to know a lot about Jesus right and I think we, we're always learning more about him so uh, next week we will pick up with another one and that is oh Romans 8, 20 and 8 28 we know all things <clears throat> we know that for those who love God all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose we'll see how that's misused and how it's used properly and where they may or may not intersect. Um, yeah. Okay. So we 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 got to go. Uh, we need someone to pray for us. So let's ask Alex. You're holy.
1: <laughs> 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 Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you
2: that you have given us a sure and steady guide, and that you have opened it to us by the mm-hmm. working of the Spirit in our lives. And we pray, Lord, that we would become more and more a people guided by the book, Lord, that we would mine it for the riches that you mm-hmm. have placed there, that we would search it contextually, Lord, using our minds as we as we try to understand what you have revealed to us. And we pray that you would just put a burning passion in our hearts, Lord, to rightly divide the word. And we thank you for this time, Lord. We thank you for Pat and his teaching. And we pray, Lord, that your hand would be upon the preacher this morning Mm -hmm. and that the word that goes forth, Lord, would um, strengthen and encourage your children, that it would convict of sin, Lord, that it would um, may even convert those who are lost. We pray that you would also bless our fellowship this afternoon. In Jesus'
0: name, amen. amen. Amen.